Ryan Hillcrest. My name is Maria Puto. Hey, good morning, Hillcrest. Nice to have you with us this morning, or whenever you might be watching this. Have you ever wanted to steal something? Maybe it was even in your hand, and uh, maybe it was keys, uh, maybe it was Lego, maybe it was cash. Maybe you had it in your hand and suddenly you began a conversation with yourself. There was two versions of you, perhaps an angel, perhaps not, and one was trying to make, all of the, reason, or make the case for all the reasons why it was no big deal. Nobody was going to get hurt. No one would ever know. And the other was saying all the reasons why you shouldn't steal it. Have you ever clenched your fist and really wanted to hit somebody? And there was rage rising up in you in such a way that there was going to be this explosive burst, more than enough to knock out a few teeth. And yet something rose up within you. It tapped the brake. It said, it's not worth it. Cool down. And for a second, you had these two minds. There was the version of you who was going to throw the punch and the version of you who knew you shouldn't. Most people assume that there is some kind of universal code of contact that we ought to ascribe to, some sense of right and wrong. This code of contact is reflected in every law and custom of every nation around the world, and even as you trace back through different ancient civilizations. It's a set of universal principles, things we should do and should not do. Tell the truth, work hard, be considerate, demonstrate compassion, be friendly, help others. Now, there's obviously many differences between cultures, but it's remarkable how universal our sense of right and wrong are. If this code was just up to us to create, out of thin air, we would have never come up with it. This set of principles that goes against so many of our most basic desires. If we came up with it, we would just disregard those impulses whenever it wasn't convenient or in our best interest. You'd think those impulses would have never made it through our evolution process. Some might say that it's in our DNA as humans to safeguard um, the species. Why does every single specimen of the species have some sense of right and wrong, but not have the ability to do what is right? Sometimes we do, but often we don't. Why is every child born with the potential and the tendency to threaten the rest of humanity and the whole world for that matter? Even when it doesn't benefit us, we still have a sense of what we should or ought to do. This awareness motivates us to act against our feelings. We apologize even when we don't want to admit that we were wrong. If we're tempted to hurt somebody, we know we're not supposed to hurt them. It sometimes informs our conscience. There's some moral law acting on us from the outside. We embrace it or try to defy it, but it's undeniable. Deep down, we believe that we are accountable for our actions. We do our best to hold ourselves accountable to this universal code of conduct. But we always hold other people accountable to it. Isn't this true? Even if you don't 
believe that such a thing exists, the truth is you hold other people accountable to this code. Liars don't like to be lied to. They might think it's okay for them to lie, but you shouldn't lie to them. Thieves don't like to be stolen from. When somebody breaks into a thief's house, he doesn't say, well, that's just how the world works, or laugh and say, ha, 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 you got me, great job. No, they're angry. They call the police. Thieves call the police. Cheaters don't like to be cheated on. See, we hold other people accountable to an external standard, even when we sometimes ignore it ourselves. If we were only judged by the rules we said ought to apply to someone else, we would all be guilty of falling short of our own standard. See, we fall short of our own expectations. We fall short of other people's expectations. And we know that it's not just mistakes. See, it's not always an accident, is it? Sometimes we make mistakes on purpose. You have to wonder why does someone make the same mistake over and over again? Is there such thing as a premeditated mistake? You plan it out and then you make the mistake. See, that's not a mistake, but we often call it a mistake. A premeditated mistake where you plan to do something that ultimately hurts somebody, that's not a mistake. That's a sin. A mistake is when you're doing math or you put the wrong number into your phone and call somebody you don't know. That's a mistake. What does this have to do with Christmas and with the series that we're in? Uh, We're in a two-part series called It's All Good. We're looking at the message of Christianity known as the gospel, which means good news. The good news of Christianity was announced in the Christmas story. Uh, Luke 10, or sorry, Luke 2, uh, verse 10 says this, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Chris was highlighting this so well uh, in our last uh, week, uh, the first of our series, and check it out if you've missed it. Good news, great joy for all people. When people hear good news, they hope that it's true. When they hear bad news, they hope that it's not And many people in our world don't think that Christianity is good news. If it is good news, then most people reject Christianity without ever understanding what it is. See, this news had been foretold thousands of years before Jesus was born. But at Christmas, it was finally announced the promised child had come, the Savior. Very often, good news for someone is bad news for someone else. In a job interview, many are interviewed, but only one gets the job. In our world, win-win is really hard to come by. Usually we experience lose-lose, win-lose, but it's so rare to find that win-win. But the news about Jesus is good news and great joy for all people. It's one thing to think that the message of Christianity is too good But if you hear it as bad news, you misunderstand what the message really is. If you've never embraced Christianity or if you've rejected Christianity, ask yourself an honest question. Do I understand what the message is? Do I understand what's at stake if I reject it without ever really understanding its claims? If we read further in Luke 2, 
uh, starting again in verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. See, the good news is this. There is a Savior. And this is why some people don't hear it as good news. People who don't think a Savior is good news don't think or want to admit they need saving. Some people are immediately offended at the idea that they need saving. I would suggest that those who don't think they need saving aren't truly being honest with themselves or honest about the world that we live in. How many of you remember the fitness test? Perhaps maybe you did it in high school. Again, this long list of things, activities, you had to jump so far, you had to do a chin-up and hold there for a long time, you had to run certain distances and all kinds of stuff like that. How many of you remember that? Now, how many think that you could do better today than when you first completed that test? Do they still do a test like that? I don't know. The, the one that I did, they only did for a certain period, and then they moved on to something else, of course. But unless you just completed the test or work very hard to stay fit, chances are you are not faster, stronger, or jumping further or higher than when you first completed that test. But you often don't notice how out of shape you are until a test comes. A few years ago, I was doing lots of running. I was running up to 42 kilometers every week. Yesterday, I was running beside our two dogs in a dog sled. We got all three, three kids piled onto our dog sled, and we went across the street to the park and just ran around a little bit. And I still haven't fully recovered. I didn't really notice how out of shape I was, because it hadn't really been tested for a while. See, if you think you're a good person, your goodness isn't being tested. Jesus once met a man, we know him as the rich young ruler, because one gospel describes him as rich and the other gospel describes him as young. He asked Jesus about doing good or really about being good enough to get into heaven. So Jesus gave him a simple test. Jesus said, if you believe you're good, then give away everything that you have to the poor. This rich young ruler was putting his faith in his goodness. But when the test came, he realized how out of shape he was. He learned something that day, but he missed the most important revelation. He walked away from Jesus, and it says he went away sad. That's in Matthew 19, by the way, if you want to read that for homework. See, good news and great joy, joy comes to those who realize that they aren't good. A Savior is only good news for people who need saving. Here is the bottom line. Why is the gospel good news? It is good news Because we're not good. Matthew 5 and verse 3. Jesus' opening remarks in his Sermon on the Mount are about this. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, the prerequisite to heaven is need for a Savior. It's lacking. See, the good news is only for people who aren't good. So how good are you? Do you need saving? Some of you may try to say that you're better than others. That's not 
what this is about. A good person does the right thing without fail every single time. See, my mom used to say that she thought she was a good person until she had kids. Uh, My sister and I are both wonderful human beings, but my mom became keenly aware that she was not a good person when she had to deal with us every single day. See, through careful study, cooperation, and childhood energy, we gradually worked out how to unravel her patience and drive her to her wit's end. On one such occasion, when she was trying to yell at us and get our attention, she said, listen to you, both of me, which, of course, isn't quite right. My dad, upon hearing this, said, now your mother's beside herself. We laughed so hard, and of course it turned into a funny family memory, but she was driven to her wit's end because of us. See, how many parents have noticed that you're not a good person because of your kids? Because they give you tests minute by minute every single day. Peter, who eventually became known as the Apostle Peter, and eventually led the early church, had an encounter with Jesus that made him keenly aware that he wasn't good. And we read of it earlier. We'll read of it again. Again, by the lake, the people are crowding around, listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats um, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little um, from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled boats, both boats, so that they were so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. And said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. See, fishermen would have this practice when uh, in the evening... Uh, again, the water would begin to cool off and the fish would come back to the surface. And then during the day when it was too warm, they would go much deeper where fishermen's nets wouldn't be effective. And Jesus approaches Peter right at the end of his shift as he's getting everything put away. These guys had been up all night cleaning and drying their nets because they were done for the day. And And the fish had gone deep. But when Jesus asks, Peter does the right thing. He lets Jesus speak from his boat, even though he knows he's going to miss his nap. Peter is gracious, and when he's asked to go out into the water, despite it being the exact wrong time to go fishing, he goes along with it. At this point, he is going way out of his way to be respectful to Jesus. See, many fishermen probably wouldn't have done this. But he says, we've been fishing all night, we haven't caught anything, but if you say so, we'll go. Out they went, and to everyone's surprise, they start to catch fish. And not just a few fish, but many fish. Again, it was sinking the boat. See, Peter's been overly kind to Jesus. He did the right thing, but suddenly that didn't matter. In this moment with Jesus in the boat, with all these fish, the crowd still in the distance on the shore, 
He's not thinking about how much he'll get from selling all of these fish or about how all the people will be talking about this for weeks or how he did the nice thing for the rabbi and now the universe was paying him back somehow. Instead, Peter lets go of the net. He drops to his knees and he says, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. See, like the rich young ruler, he realized he wasn't good enough. See, did you know that the shepherds had the same experience when the angels showed up to announce the good news? In fact, almost every time someone sees an angel or has an encounter with God, they are terrified. In the presence of God, we realize how unholy we are, how doomed we are. But here's the good news. Jesus came to be our Savior. He didn't just come to point out that we need saving. And how foolish is it to reject a Savior because they bring to light the fact that you need to be saved. Friends, hear that. How foolish is it to reject a Savior because they bring to light the fact that you need to be saved. See, Luke chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus said this, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. See, Jesus knew how sinful Peter was, and he knew that he wasn't done sinning. But there he is, inviting Peter to join him, to be one of his followers, to be part of changing the world, to be a fisher of men, a fearful, sinful fisherman, on the verge of becoming a world changer. He realizes he's a sinner. But unlike the rich young ruler, he also sees Jesus, the promised Messiah, the Lord's salvation, the Savior, standing right there in his boat. At that point, they pulled up their boats onto shore, and they left everything that they had, and they followed him, and they left the mark on the world. We're talking about him today, thousands of years later. That journey only began with Peter, when Peter realized he wasn't good but that there was a Savior in the boat with him, inviting him to a greater life. But how? How does the Savior save? He doesn't just say that sin doesn't matter. Instead, he offers to trade places with us. He offers us his righteousness, because our righteousness isn't worth anything. Paul, the apostle, trying to make the same point, wrote in the letter to the Philippians. This is chapter 3, verse 4. Though I myself have reason for such confidence, again, in his goodness. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regards to the law, a Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. See, this was Paul's religious resume. This was the goodness list in his culture. And he says, I nailed it. And then he meets Jesus. And do you know what label he gave himself after he met Jesus? This guy who said, listen, I nailed it. I was faultless. He said, I am the chief of sinners. How can you go from being the best of the best to the worst of the worst? Paul would say, because I encountered the resurrected Savior. He continues to write in Philippians. This is chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything 
a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in or through the faithfulness of Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on a basis of faith. Then he also writes in Romans chapter 3, verse 21, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. See, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but don't stop there. Don't get offended that the good news calls you a sinner. Don't just wallow in darkness believing you aren't good enough, you'll never be good enough. Hear this also. And all are justified freely by his grace. This is the differentiator between Christianity and everything else. See, in Christianity, you repent of your sin. It's like that in every religion. But in Christianity, you also repent of your righteousness. You must admit you're not good. You must admit you need a Savior. See, the birth of Jesus was good news of great joy for all people because we all share something in common. We all fall short. But we have been invited, invited by the Savior. It's one thing thing to think that the message of Christianity is too good. But if you hear it as bad news, you misunderstand what the message really is. See, if you've never embraced Christianity, or if you've rejected Christianity, ask yourself that honest question. Do I understand what the gospel message is? Do I understand what's at stake if I reject it without understanding it? First, you have to understand the message. Then you have to decide if it's true. And if it's true, your whole world is about to change. If I could sum it up, I'd say this. There is an all-loving God who made the whole universe, including you, so that we could enjoy a relationship with him. But humanity, including you, rejected God and sinned against him, leaving all of humanity, including you, enslaved to sin. But then Jesus, God himself, came to deal with sin and death by personally taking our sin on himself and dying on the cross. He then rose from the grave, demonstrating his power over death and invites us to freely receive the salvation that he offers through faith in him and welcomes us into eternal life where there's no sin or death and where he will wipe every tear from our eyes. C.S. Lewis said it this way, where all the sad things will come untrue. We get to enjoy life eternal with God who is ultimately everything good and perfect, personified. If you know that deep down you will never be good enough and are tired of trusting in your own goodness, you can pray a simple prayer of commitment to Jesus. As your first steps in following him, you can pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Father, thank you that you love me and sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sin 
I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live a life that honors you by the power of the Holy Spirit. One final thought. Here's this final piece. Christians, lots of people reject Christianity because they don't like Christians. Christians are often great at pointing out that most people aren't very good. And often try, we often try to make it seem like we are. But if you want to be effective in sharing your faith, set aside your righteousness. Paul said it was garbage, so throw it away. Every morning, wake up and throw away your self-righteousness. And at the end of the day, count it all, all the good things that you do, as loss. Then, find some boat to stand in. Pray for a miracle. And after all, after all the Lord knows when the fish are going to be up, when they're going to be down, when they're ready to be caught. Pray for a miracle. And as the kingdom comes near to these people, when you speak, when you bring the presence of Christ in, and perhaps they are feeling more than ever, I'm not really good. Don't pass judgment on them. Instead, when you speak, speak from one unrighteous person to another of his amazing grace. Good news and great joy for all people. A Savior has been born to you. So I want to say thanks for being with us today. And don't miss our Christmas Eve service happening at 4 p.m. and at 6 p.m. You can join us online. We'd love to have you there. And let me pray for you as we close. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray for every soul who hears this message. They would know the incredible invitation that you give to have a relationship with you freely by your grace. And I pray for every believer that they would start fishing, not because we're being good, but because we have experienced the grace of a Savior. And that you would bring in such a catch that this boat and all the others in this city would be filled. In your name we pray. Amen.